0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, go ahead and grab them. Luke chapter 4 this morning as we continue through our series and the gospel according to Luke. Uh, What a great morning it has been so far. I'm excited to get into this section of scripture. If you're new with us, if you're a visitor, uh, we're going verse by verse through the gospel of Luke together. And we've now reached Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 together. The temptation of Jesus, our victor. Last week we saw the baptism of Jesus, our substitute. And now we see Jesus in temptation as our victor. And so uh, I'm really excited about these verses because Luke's done a great job of pointing out both the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus. And here in these sections of scripture, as Jesus faces temptation, we see how human Jesus really was. It's encouraging, number one, because we see it reveals that he's just like us, human in every respect, Fully man. Hebrews 2 14 through 18 would say it this way Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. What encouraging verses that we get to this morning as we see that Jesus, being fully human, he's able to identify with us and our humanity that there are times when we are tempted. Yet he was without sin, Hebrews 4:15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. It's encouraging this morning because we see that to be tempted is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's, it's human to be tempted. And we see that Jesus is perfection in the flesh. He is the true and better Adam, as we've just sang. Romans 5, 12 and 17 through 19 would say this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more, Well, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one, one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Jesus is the true and better Adam. As we dig into Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13, it's easy for us to see the parallel that takes place with Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. Let me me just show you this. Adam is the first Adam, right? He's created by God. He's in the garden. He's in the garden. He feasted. You can eat from any of the trees in the garden, just don't eat from this one tree. He's tempted once, and he sins, and he brings death into the world. Jesus, on the other hand, he's the last Adam, the second Adam, the true and better Adam. He's not in the garden. He's now in the wilderness. He's not feasting. He's fasting. He's tempted multiple times over these 40 days, yet is without sin, and he brings us life. So the pattern that we see here is that Jesus is our substitute again, and he's our victor. So as we get into these sections of Scripture, it's going to be easy for us to glean some things personally from this and how to deal with temptation, but I want you to understand that that's not what these verses are about. This is not to give us a pattern to follow. This is to give us a person to run to. This is about Jesus Christ being the son of God. As we just left off, he was baptized in our place. He Follows through to complete all righteousness. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And you hear an audible voice. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then you get into the genealogy that takes us all the way back to Adam. And so you've got this evidence that it is the son of God. And now Satan's going to come on as Jesus is starting up his ministry. And he's going to say, all right, if you truly are the son of God, let's see how you deal with temptation. As we deal with temptation, it is for us to not follow a pattern of Jesus, so much as to run to the person of Jesus. In 1 John 4, 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Our only defense in our humanity against temptation and sin is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the account that we're about to read about your temptation in the wilderness. We thank you that you put on flesh, that you fully took your place here in our place as our substitute, and you are the victor over sin, over death, over the enemy, and you offer us newness of life because of your faithfulness. So, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we thank you for the word today. Speak to us and change our hearts from the inside out. In Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you have your word, follow along with me. This is the ESV version. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For forty days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. You then, if you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. First thing I that to see this morning is the providence in temptation. God's providence in temptation. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. What is God's providence? Well, this is a fancy word that means God from all eternity past has planned everything that will happen according to his own will. He is in charge. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. However, it's important to note that God is not responsible for sin in any way. Nor does he remove human responsibility, but he uses both sin and human responsibility according to his will and purpose. He is fully in charge. And so, as we get into this section of Scripture, the first thing that we notice that might stand out to us is Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, is now led into the wilderness in a time of temptation. So, Jesus is not here by accident, Jesus is preparing himself for ministry. In fact, he's not someplace he ought not to be. He's exactly where the Holy Spirit has led him to be. He's there fasting. Jesus is undergoing a time of spiritual strengthening. He's going through a spiritual discipline so that his communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit can be even closer as he begins his ministry in the flesh. Now, if God has led him to this point, then why would he face temptation? Well... Even in God's providence, we face trials and temptations and struggles. Now, it doesn't mean that we should not exercise prudence, right? A lack of prudence does not give us reason to blame God's providence. There are times when we should not put ourselves in harm's way. We should not put ourselves in situations that would lead towards temptation. We should not put ourselves in, in areas that we know would cause us to stumble in the fall. In fact, we should pray, Matthew 6:13: lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Paul would say, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So run away from it. Don't put yourself in these situations. 1 Corinthians 15, do not be deceived. This is, this is parents' favorite Bible verse, right? Every parent loves this one. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals, right? This is the one you tell your kids, listen, you shouldn't be hanging out with those guys. They're going to corrupt you. That's what my mom said, and I was like, I might be one of those guys. Sometimes, we can be doing exactly the right thing, in exactly the right place. Even trying our best to be in the will of God, working on our relationship with God, and still face temptation. Hebrews 5, 8 through 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. What is being said here is that Jesus, before putting on flesh, he fully understood the theory of obedience. But it wasn't until he actually put on flesh, was made like us in every respect, that he learned and understood obedience through human experience. Jesus in our place as our victor over temptation. This is why James would say, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James describes exactly what takes place in temptation. Now, Jesus can't say that God is tempting him when he gets to the wilderness, but he can say that God had led him to an area where there would be trial, an area where there would be hunger, an area where there would be a wilderness period that he would be going through. But temptation comes from the evil one, and he uses our own sinful desires. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of the game and the schemes that the enemy plays. 1 John 2.16 would say, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. So Satan would like to use our own desires Our own fleshly human desires against us we're not ignorant to his designs now I have an illustration I know I've told this illustration before so if you've been at Mediview for any period of time you've probably heard this but it's the best illustration of how the enemy works in temptation so I'll be playing myself in this illustration Chuck E Cheese will be the wilderness and my father-in-law will be playing the devil all right so (laughs) As you know, if you have been at Chuck E. Cheese as a parent, it is the wilderness. You can't wait to get out of there, it's the worst. So I remember we went there with uh, our kids for a a, birthday party, and I have this little cup of tokens, and I've gone over to the machine, maybe you've seen this machine, where all the tokens are there, and there's these little arms that are moving, and they're gonna push off the tokens. If you can get your token in just the right spot, all the tokens will fall off well I walk over and I see that all these tokens have created this large token shelf and I was like those have got to fall any minute so I'm using my tokens and my father-in-law Satan in the story walks over to me and says you know one simple bump I bet all those would fall and then my own fleshly desires kicked in the pride of life the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and I just a real little hip into that machine I said you know let's just give it a little nudge see what happens the alarm went off I was looking for the Chuck E. Cheese police I thought I was gonna get kicked out and I said you made me do that and he said I didn't make you do anything I just suggested it get behind me Satan right this is exactly how he works this is so encouraging because Jesus in his humanity is dealing with his own fleshly desires And Satan shows up and he says, you know what? I'm just going to make some suggestions. And I'm going to see if you really are who you say you are. If you really are the son of God. It's no mistake that Jesus is in the wilderness. Jesus is proving that he is the true and better Adam. And now he's proving that he is the true Israel. As Israel wandered for 40 years, now Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days fasting. He is proving that he is the true Israel. And so he is going to use scriptures from the time period where Israel was in the wilderness. And so Jesus fulfills Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus fulfills this. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Use that verse. Memorize as much scripture as you can be ready because the enemy is going to attack but i can also promise you this if i don't care if you say the verses out loud i don't care if you have them all memorized if your heart in that moment doesn't run towards jesus you will fall into temptation this is not a pattern to follow this is a person to run to he is our victor over temptation god's provision number two in temptation god's provision in temptation For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. I think that's a subtle statement, that he was hungry. Here we see the desires of the flesh. Satan's scheme and design is to tempt us to satisfy our hunger, urges, and physical desires through means of sinful and selfish gain. This is temptation 101. You see it, you want it, you go after it. It doesn't matter who you hurt or what you do, you satisfy that craving. Jesus was hungry often in our most weak moments is when we are attacked maybe it's when we're emotionally wrecked maybe it's when things that we had planned don't come to pass maybe we're physically exhausted these are the times when we are most attacked by the enemy and Jesus knew this verse 3 the devil said to him if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus here quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember, here's a key word, remember the whole way That the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. The man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus here quotes this knowing that even in this moment, he is the true Israel who has been in the wilderness for 40 days, not 40 years. He has hungered. He's been led here by the Holy Spirit that it would show that he is going to be obedient even when his flesh is weak. I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it. In our members, there is a slumbering inclination towards desire. Desire which is both sudden and fierce. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery of the flesh. All at once, a secret smoldering fire is kindled. The flesh burns and is in flames. It makes no difference whether it is a sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed for money. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. Remember those words. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. The only reality is the devil. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches us, in times of temptation in the flesh, there is one command. Flee. Flee fornication. Flee idolatry. Flee useful lust. Flee the lust of the world. There is no resistance to Satan and lust other than flight. Every struggle against lust and one's own strength is doomed to failure. Jesus is the one who, in our place, is the victor over the flesh. How many times have you failed? Maybe even this week. You saw something, you hungered for it, you craved it, and you went ahead and went after it, whether you knew that was God's will for your life or not. Jesus is our only hope. We should run to Jesus. He is our provision in times of temptation. Number three, God's power in temptation. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Here we see the desire of the eyes. Satan's scheme and design is to tempt us to satisfy our personal desires by selling out for an instant result over an eternal reward. Is this true? That when temptation comes, it is a satisfy yourself now, don't worry about tomorrow. So what do we see taking place? Satan is going to ramp up the pressure. He's going to not only use fleshly desires, but now he's going to dangle the carrot personal desire in front of Jesus. As Kent Hughes puts it, Satan presented Christ with a fantasy-like vision of the world in which nations stood ready to abandon their idols and accept Christ as Lord. Jesus was made to hear the rustling of world flags flying in his honor. He could win the world without pain. The enemy promised no weeping over Jerusalem, no crucifixion. The greatest countries of the world, Israel's elect nation, the mighty Roman Empire, and all the rest, would open their gates to their new king but there's always a catch there's always a catch satan is offering jesus all authority without ever going to the cross in fact jesus here doesn't even dispute the authority of satan all throughout scripture we see in john Uh, 12.31, he's the ruler of this world. John 14.30, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. John 16.11, he's the ruler of this world. Paul in Ephesians 2.2, in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Paul says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. There is one who is at work blinding the minds of those who are unbelievers. He is the king of this world. He has the kingdoms of this world in his hands, and he's willing to say, Here, don't you want more of this? Then you must deny the kingdom of heaven. He's the accuser of the brethren. But there's a catch. There's always a catch. And the catch is, Jesus might receive worship, but it hasn't solved the problem of sin. Though the nations would worship Jesus, they would remain eternally lost and separated from the Father. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Jesus is quoting 10 through 15. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God who shall you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is the jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Jesus quotes Moses' words of warning against idolatry. He quotes about Becoming so fixated on all the things that you have in front of your eyes that you forget about God. Oh, isn't this a temptation for us all? That we can become so fixated on the things of this world that we totally forget about God. That we we see the carrot dangling in front of us and we say, you know what, that's a good thing. I'm going to go after that. It's idol worship. Kent Hughes goes on to say the temptation was a powerful enticement. Of course, the effects of this would be disastrous. A breach with the Father with whom the Son had known nothing but eternal intimacy. A slap in the Father's moral governance of the universe. A split second of idolatry that would eternally thunder through the universe. A shallow, fleeting, political salvation instead of eternal soul salvation. No atonement, no real forgiveness, and no righteousness. But Jesus did not take the bait. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was in our place. He atoned for our sins. He poured out his blood. He paid our debt. And in doing so, he defeated Satan, sin, and death. And now, in Matthew 28:18, we see, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just the authority on earth, but now all authority in heaven and on earth because of his obedience to the Father. He didn't take the shortcut. As you get to Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Jesus gets to see all the nations bowing before him and not just bowing before him politically, bowing before him washed in white robes because of his sin sacrifice in our place. Oh, see, the... Tempter would rather you take the immediate rather than the eternal. And there's always a catch. As Paul would say in First Corinthians 10 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Church, we need to understand it's always a trap idolatry always promises us what it will not provide it promises you satisfaction but you're always going to want more if you look to gain the whole world you'll forfeit your soul Jesus is our only power over temptation so in those moments we should run to him for he is our victor for God's protection in temptation the final temptation here. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now we see the pride of life. Satan's scheme of design is to tempt us to satisfy our personal desires by questioning God's goodness, as if what he has provided Is simply not enough 100% of the time you think God owes me something better than this you're in sin Owen Strachan what's happening here is that Satan is now going to take another step further Satan is going to Satan is going to say you know what you have been using scripture I can play that game too I'm going to use scripture back at you so what he does is he quotes from Psalm 91 which Psalm 91 is all about the faithful person of God that God will protect. And so he says, listen, you have proven through these last two temptations that you are faithful. You are the faithful one. So let's put, let's put that to the test. If, if you really are the son of God, if you really are the faithful one that Psalm 91 is talking about, then let's test it. Let's jump off this because he will protect you. And so what happens is Satan says, you know, I, I want you to use scripture on your own terms Rather than on God's terms. How many times have we used Scripture for our personal gain to excuse things that we know is not what God's word intended? And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy six, sixteen. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him and Massa. Massa or Meribah or Rephidim. Is a place in the wilderness of sin, between the wilderness of sin and the wilderness of Sinai. We see this in Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb and. You shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Israel had been delivered out of the hand of Egypt. They had clearly seen miracle after miracle They'd been given manna from heaven. They'd been given quail to eat. And now they're grumbling and complaining. And they're saying, is God even with us? And this is what Jesus uses in this moment to say, I don't need to put God to the test. I know he is with me. Jesus is our victor in times of temptation. It says there in verse 13, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let me tell you, an opportune time is coming. Each and every one of us, it, it could happen before you even walk out of this room. An opportune time is coming. You're not ignorant to the schemes of the devil. You know that he simply wants to make suggestions that go along with your own fleshly desires. Your only hope. Your only victory is that in that moment of temptation, you drop everything and you run to Jesus. Does your heart run to him? James 4:7. submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. As we leave today, I pray that you have a heart that runs after Jesus. That you would see that Jesus truly is not only our substitute, he's the true and better Adam, he is the one true Israel, he is the one that we can run to because he's the only victor over temptation. And he understands because he has been human in every respect that we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We ask God that you would give us strength in times of trials you would fill us with your spirit and your spirit would convict us when sin creeps its way into our life when there's temptations father i pray that you give us that escape that we would run we would run straight to you the author and the perfecter of our faith father we thank you so much for your word again today lord if there's someone here who doesn't know you someone today who's battling sin someone today who is battling a temptation and they are weary and they are hungry and they are tired lord i pray that you would fill their cup with your presence. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand?